Now, let me let me rein us in with a little more uh, sobriety as we come to the Word of God and ask you please to open the Pew Bible to page 61 for the unison reading of Exodus 21 through 17. The Ten Commandments, otherwise known as the Decalogue, ten words, or known as the moral law of God, which is abiding for all people everywhere, even unto this day. You're going to find in your bulletin your sermon series insert, uh, selections from the larger catechism we will not read, but this is intended for your study. This is intended to help you dig in. This is intended to help you benefit from further from this sermon today. Uh, great, rich, uh, scripturally uh, infused instruction, and, and then you see you've got plenty of room on the bottom and on the reverse side for the taking of notes today. I encourage you in that. This is uh, sermon number two, and if you missed last Sunday's, I really would encourage you to get it, download it on the podcast, or get it from the website, because these these sermons build one upon the other. It is a series, and I, I commend that to you. Um, let us ask the Lord to bless now His holy word, and then we will read in unison. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us so much that you give us your law so that we might walk in life and in liberty by the power of your Spirit and through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now in his name and for his sake, for the upbuilding of your church, we pray, Lord, that you will send your Holy Spirit upon us afresh. And we pray, Lord, that you will awaken slumbering hearts. We pray that you will enlighten dull minds. We pray that you will open deaf ears, open blind eyes, that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. Speak, O Lord, and transform us. Give us life according to your word so that we might live upon the earth as your faithful people to the glory of your name. Amen. This is the word of God. Let us read it in unison. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, 
or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever, and to his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Now, this morning, we begin to work our way through each one of the Ten Commandments, beginning with the First Commandment. And some of you gave me some very helpful feedback from last Sunday in saying that you liked the structure of the sermon with enumerated points, which helped you to take notes on your insert sheet. That was music to my ears. And see, since that format seemed helpful to you last Sunday, well, I'm going to try that again today as well. So the structure of this sermon is as follows, five points. The first, the priority of the first commandment, priority. Second, the goodness of the first commandment, goodness. Third, obedience to the first commandment, obedience. Fourth, violations of the first commandment, violations. And number five, the gospel and the first commandment. Five points. Now, I realize that the first letters, you know, there's no alliteration or assonance. They don't spell an acrostic, you know, a clever word. That's the best I could do. And really, you know, it's not that bad for a preacher whose sermons usually have no points. But anyway, number one, the priority of the first commandment. First things first. This commandment is foundational to all others. In fact, it is logical to say that in order to obey the other nine commandments, we must first obey this first commandment. Say it another way. When we fail to keep this first commandment and thereby fall into worshiping another god, whether money, sex, power, pleasure, prestige, popularity, you name it, we eventually fall into violating one or some other of the commandments. So every time I commit a sin, whatever that sin may be, I am also violating this first commandment. Because every time I sin, whatever that sin may be, I am worshiping another God. Every time I sin, whatever that sin may be, I'm also violating the first commandment because whenever I sin, whatever that sin may be, I am worshiping another God. So this first commandment acts as a kind of firewall against the temptations to violate the other commandments. Whenever you're faced with a particular temptation, 
Whenever you feel yourself inclined toward a particular sin, just, just step back, ask yourself, what other God is demanding my allegiance right now? What other God is vying for first place in my life? That may help you to keep the first commandment first. And now a sub-point, 1A, about the priority of the first commandment. The Ten Commandments were given on two tablets of stone. The first tablet having to do with our relationship with God. Second tablet having to do with our relationship with our neighbor. But the two tablets can never be separated. Jesus summarized the law by saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The two tablets go together and can never be separated. But first things first. God is our creator and our sustainer upon whom we and all creation are absolutely dependent every day. It is simply right and logical because of who God is that our love for Him, our devotion to Him, our worship of Him alone should be the priority, the number one and non-negotiable priority of our lives. And here's subpoint B. We have this first commandment first because without the true worship of God at the foundation of our lives, without the true worship of God at the foundation of society, humanity really has no foundation for love of neighbor. And we see this played out. In, in personal lives and, and in history uh, writ large, where there is no love of God, where there is no fear of God, you can bet that there's going to be a lot of bad stuff going on against the neighbor, whoever that might be. So the first commandment is first because it is logically and necessarily the first in spiritual priority, and all of the other commandments are built upon it and depend upon it. Number two, the goodness of the first commandment. Goodness of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, don't let the familiarity of that make you numb to the force of it. It is absolute. There are no exceptions to it. It is an all-or-nothing command. It expresses, listen, it expresses the intolerance of God. I said it. It expresses the intolerance of God toward other gods in our lives. And that's a good thing. That's the goodness of the first commandment. Why is that good? Let's go back to the burning bush. God revealed His name to Moses saying, I am who I am. And God's name, I am, expresses His infinite and eternal self-existence. We had a sermon on that, you remember. He is all wise, all good, 
all-righteous. He is the infinite and eternal, uncreated creator, fountain of all life, goodness, love, justice, beauty, truth, blessedness. He is the God of the heaven of heavens. So practical application. If you want goodness, love, justice, rightness, beauty, truth, blessedness, if you want real happiness in your life, from whom should you seek it? Where will you find it? Isn't it a good thing to be warned not to seek our well-being, our happiness from counterfeit gods? Now remember, please remember the foundational principle from last Sunday. God's law is an expression of God's love. Get it? God's law is an expression of God's love. God gave us the Ten Commandments because He loves us and He intends that our lives should flourish and thrive in liberty and peace under His blessing. God's law is good and is good for us and is for our good. That's the reason that we should say with the psalmist, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. The goodness of the first commandment is that it focuses our lives on the true source of all that is good and prohibits us from seeking our good, our well-being, our happiness from counterfeit gods. The problem, however, arises out of our sinful nature, our inborn rebellion against God. We don't want God to be God. We want to be God. We think we know better. So we pursue our happiness in our own ways. Or, as the song says, we go looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, the prophet Jeremiah put it this way. My people have committed to, the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What a tragic image. They've, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves. They're doing it their way, and they're making break, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Well, you see, that's what's at stake in the first commandment. Turning away from the fountain of living waters and trying to hold water for ourselves in a broken cistern that we've made for ourselves. The prophet Isaiah asked, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? In other words, why are you wasting your time and your money and your energy on things that really amount to nothing, that cannot satisfy your hearts? Why are you looking for love in all the wrong places? God gave this first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, in order to save us 
from the heartache and the heartbreak and the emptiness and the wasting of our lives and the eternal despair that comes from worshiping counterfeit gods. That's the goodness of the first commandment. It is good that our good God does not tolerate the presence of false gods in our lives. Number three, obedience to the first commandment. What does it require? Well, this commandment demands that our lives be completely God-centered. As one commentator wrote, and this is rather lengthy, but I think you'll get the point. It means not merely an emotional attitude toward God, but an all-inclusive practical devotion to God that leads us to honor and obey Him in every sphere and every relationship of life. There can be nothing in our life separate from God. We may not draw a boundary line and mark off any sphere or area of life and say that in that area, our relationship to God does not count. The man who thinks he can carry on his business life or his political life or his social life without God is to that extent a violator of the first commandment. The consistent Christian will realize that there is nothing in life which can be isolated from his or her relation to God. The consistent Christian will realize that there is nothing in life which can be isolated from his or her relation to God. So the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, demands that we offer 100% of our lives to the honor and glory of God 100% of the time. Now this, by the way, is what God means when he says, you shall have no other gods before me. It doesn't refer simply to logical priority. The words before me in the Hebrew actually mean, you shall have no other gods before my face. You shall have no other gods before my face. You shall have no other gods in my presence. Don't stand in my presence with allegiance to any other god. When are you and I before the face of God? When? When are you and I in God's presence? When? A hundred percent of the time. When are you and I hidden from God's face or not in His presence? You see, the true and living God simply does not tolerate the slightest dalliance with any other gods, he calls for 100% of our hearts 100% of the time. Now, when reading the commentaries on this, I was struck by something so obvious that I'd never, ever thought about it before. It's this. It's obviously of critical importance, but here it is. In order for us to worship and to serve and to obey the only true and living God, we must know who He is. Otherwise, how would we know if we're worshiping and obeying Him or not? We must know this true and living God as He has revealed Himself to us in Scripture. This is the only way to avoid the worship of false gods, including whatever false imagination of God we might concoct in our own minds, which happens all the time. And I would say perhaps the most popular God 
or the most popular religion in America right now is the God or the religion of the projected self. This is how it works. I'm free to believe whatever I choose to believe, right? So, I imagine a God who is a projection of myself. He thinks what I think. He agrees with me. He supports my opinions. He votes the way I do. He affirms my priorities. He, and He never contradicts me. It's such a wonderful thing. A God who never says, you shall not. Now that is the premier false God of our day. Very popular. It's religion on the street. It's the God of the projected self. And, and you know what? You can live consistently with that and, and think that you are perfectly obeying God because in your delusion, you are. You're just living the way you want to live and believing what you want to believe. And it's idolatry. So to serve and worship and obey the true and living God and to avoid the false worship of false gods, we, we must know the true God as He has revealed Himself in Scripture and in His Son, Jesus Christ. So I come to the Word. I must learn from the Word. I must submit myself to His Word in Scripture. And then I must trust His promises. I must fear His warnings. I must follow His instructions. I must receive His corrections. And then I understand I'm to worship Him in spirit and truth and call upon Him in time of trouble. Don't just gripe, grumble, and complain. Call upon Him. Pray about everything. Cast all cares upon Him. Give thanks for all His gifts. Rejoice in His mercies. Remember His faithfulness. Take delight in His blessings. Seek to walk in His ways and keep His commandments. Give Him the glory every day, every day before His face. Number four. There's obviously a lot more that could be said there, but... We're going to move on to number four, violations of the first commandment, violations. It would be easy enough to say that the opposite of everything I just said would be violations of the first commandment. That would be true. Worshiping the God of the self, seeking our happiness and our security from the things of this world, living as though we are the lords of our own lives, living life my way, for my pleasure, for my comfort, my glory. Determining for ourselves what is right and best for us without regard to God's Word. Whenever that is true of us, we are worshiping another God. And that raises an interesting question. Do other gods actually exist? We're still under number four violations. Do other gods actually exist? The answer is no and yes. No, there is only one true and living God. The infinite and eternal, uncreated creator of all things visible and invisible, the great I am who exists eternally, in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, He alone is God.
But yes, in fact, the Bible often refers to other gods, lowercase g. These other gods, lowercase g, are real spiritual beings, demonic beings. They are not infinite and eternal. They are not omniscient. They are not omnipresent. They do not eternally exist, and they will not eternally exist except in hell. They are real spiritual beings, demonic beings, who function and rule as gods, lowercase g, over unredeemed humanity. For example, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the Apostle Paul refers to Satan as, quote, the god of this world, lowercase g. The Apostle Paul also referred to demonic beings as the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil. In the Old Testament, we read of various false gods. Again, these are specific demonic beings, such as Baal, Baal, and Dagon, and Chemosh, and Molech. These are demon gods mentioned in the Old Testament. These were the gods of nature, fertility gods, power, the worship of which often included pagan temple prostitution or otherwise sexual orgies. And along with this pagan worship, particularly to Molech, child sacrifice was offered. Hideous. They're very much with us today, are they not? Popular and powerful. Gods of nature. Who demand that we worship the creation rather than the creator. This is a demonic mastermind, you understand. A demonic mastermind at work behind the scenes of our culture, the cosmic forces of darkness. We demand that we worship the creation rather than the creator. Gods of fertility, who promise personal liberation through sexual immorality, and demand sacrifice of children, literally. For the sake of personal autonomy, power, liberty, economic security, and general well-being. My brothers and sisters, this concerted movement of creation worship, sexual anarchy, and child sacrifice in our culture today, make no mistake, it is a religion. It is a religious movement. It is an ancient religion serving demonic gods, whether it is acknowledged as such or not. But there are other kinds of gods, that lowercase g, that vie for our devotion as well. And not all of them are demonic 
or necessarily bad in and of themselves. So now let's turn, let's turn the let's turn the sword to ourselves, shall we? For example, God entrusts us with the stewardship of money for his glory. So money and even wealth in and of itself is not a bad thing. But when we trust in money, when money rules over us, when our identity and our security depends more and more upon money and enough is never enough, then money has taken its place in our life as a God, and we have, we have submitted ourselves to it as our master. And Jesus said, you will remember, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You shall have no other gods before me. And don't ever forget, Jesus let the rich young ruler walk away sadly. What about the family? And we all know that the family, the health, happiness, unity of the family is important to God. We know that. We pray for the health, happiness, and unity of our families. The family is the God-ordained basic unit of all human society. But listen to these words of Jesus on Father's Day. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What? Is Jesus crazy? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You shall have no other gods before me. And elsewhere, you know, Jesus warned about making excuses. Remember those who were called to the banquet by the master? Oh, well, you know, I got a field I got to go by. Well, I just bought some oxen. Well, I just got married. Good excuses. Work, daily responsibilities, marriage, what have you. Good excuses which get in the way of answering Jesus' call to discipleship. There are other gods which can keep us from following Him with undivided loyalty. So now, that gets us to number five, the gospel and the first commandment. Now we know, don't we? Now we know. None of us can claim to keep the first commandment perfectly. With 100% of our hearts, 100% of the time, we never do. That's our plight. <laughs> right out of the gate, we're done. And that's the reason that we need a sinless Savior who can cleanse us from all our sins. Someone who himself actually kept the first commandment with 100% of his heart, 100% of the time. I want you to think about this. I want you to lay hold of it. Hang on to it. In perfect obedience to the first commandment, Jesus denied himself physical comfort, earthly glory, and worldly kingdoms for the sake of doing his Father's will for our salvation. That's what the temptation in the wilderness was all about. You shall have no other gods before me. And then, 
when Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, yet not my will but yours be done, struggling with bloody sweat, yet not my will but yours be done. What was at stake? The first commandment. And Jesus was keeping the first commandment, humbling Himself in obedience unto death, even death on a cross. So you see, here we go. This is it. Get it. The God who decreed the first commandment is the God who in Jesus Christ has kept it for us on our behalf to cover our failing for our sake, for our salvation, so that we might be cleansed from our sin, acquitted of our disobedience, and clothed with His righteousness. It is only by Jesus' obedience, obedience unto death, obedience to the first commandment, that we are saved. And therefore, when we hear the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, we are hearing the voice of Jesus Christ, the great I Am who loved us and gave Himself up for us in perfect obedience to the Father. You shall have no other gods before me. We are hearing the voice of Jesus say, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We are hearing Jesus' call to discipleship. If anyone would come to me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You shall have no other gods before me. We are hearing Jesus say, I came, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. So have no other gods. So, how about it? How about it? No more looking for love in all the wrong places. God's love has come down from heaven for us to fulfill His law so that we might enjoy His love now and forever through Jesus Christ our Lord. And to God alone be the glory Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, our great law keeper, that we might be delivered from the curse of our guilt under the law, restored and renewed as your beloved children. Give us grace and the power of your Spirit, O Lord, that we might live in true faithfulness and in love. To the glory of your name. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one true church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, 
the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.